0: Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo Show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo Show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today, I'm here with Mitch, and I always do this. I I love to try to say the name right, and I always mess that up, but I'm going to try. Powell. Paul. That's it? You got it. I did it. Nice. I'm getting better at this. (laughs) One and done. I'm here with Mitch Powell, Kaju instructor and practitioner. And um, also the, is it co-host, host host of the Kaju talk story? Is that? No, that's going to be
1: Grandmaster Glenn
0: Fraticelli. Okay. He's the host. host. You're the. I'm the historian for the KSDI. There it is. There it is. You're the historian for the KSDI. And... um, which then, means I
1: get access to a lot of really cool documents.
0: All right, cool. 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 And you you, you you're the one kind of in the background. Are you gonna be because I haven't I haven't had a chance to see are you on the actual show? You're more like in the producing end, right? Is that
1: no, no, I'm I'm gonna be part of the show introducing the information, okay. where okay. we got it from, how the research came about.
0: Okay, okay where so the take...
1: photographs came from that explained the early development of Kajukimbo.
0: All right, so technically, it's kind of like a historian, researcher, slash, co-host. There you bit. go. Yeah, I think Something that would like be that. Some of that. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the Social Jello with Angelo show. Um, as I always say, this is not the Kajukenbo podcast. Not always say, I've been saying this lately, because I want people to go to Kajukenbo Talk Story to get more information about Kajukenbo and the history. Um, I just like talking to, because I do Kajukenbo, as you can see um i like to talk to a lot of kaji Kimmel practitioners and just getting their stories so you come from the emperado method and uh for those people that don't know what i'm talking about who maybe don't do any martial arts can you explain that real quick
1: well emperado method is a kaji Kimmel that was created by C.J. adriano emperado and great grandmaster joe emperado in hawaii so it's the kaji Kimmel they created that got taught to their students, which were the first wave of martial arts
0: kajakimbal teachers. And how did you end up getting into the auto Method? Well, uh, I was
1: originally Ramos Method martial artist. Uh, I came up, uh, my, my best friend Frank Lucero introduced me to Tony Ramos in 1975. I was 15 years old. Uh, went to a school, blown away, thought it was amazing. And I trained in the Ramos method from him, from uh, his first black belt in uh, from his Fairfield school, 1964, Calvin Shin. And then uh, Calvin Shin retired in 89, and I moved my training over to Emo Bautista, also Tony Ramos black belt. I think he was black belt number three under Tony Ramos. And I just continued there uh, until uh, 2005. So, Started Kaj Kemo, Imperado method, or uh, Ramos method in 75, trained in it uh, fully until 2005. But now I'm going to backtrack. About about 2000, Joe Davis, who's a senior grandmaster at KSDI in the Imperado method, he's the the head now of the Reyes line of Kaj Kemo. So Reyes is Imperado method Kaj Kemo. He was out, Leo Reyes was one of the Imperado Method, uh, Kaj Kimball practitioners, first practitioners that came to mainland, 59. So Joe Davis started coming to Imo Bautista School. And while he was there, he said, hey, do you want to learn alphabets? They're from the Imperado Method. So me and Dennis Peterson, Walt Schold, Sam Carter, Al Sadler, we all said, yeah, yeah, we're in, man, show us these. So we thought they were so cool, we made a DVD of them. And a lot of schools have our DVD and it's the 26 techniques, the advanced punch counter techniques that Adriano Imperato created in the later part of the fifties. So they're in essence, the last piece of the Imperado method curriculum. So we make this video, we think it's really cool. Joe Davis says, Hey man, you guys want to learn some more stuff. So, yeah, sure. Why not? So we start over and he says, well, here's the original grab counters. Here's the original punch counters. Here's the original two man's and three man's and knife and club. And, and here's the original plama sets, which originally were called pinons, but they were changed to plama sets to reflect uh, the origin, where they came from. So we ended up learning the entire operado method. And for a, for a brief time there, I had personal students that I was training in both. So I'd go, hold on for a minute, that's this way. Wait a minute, that's this way. So I was bilingual, right? I had two versions of Kaji Kimmel and I was, te- I was teaching them both. I was a, a professor in one and trying to adapt the other one, right? So I learned from Joe Davis. So you gotta go back and say, well, well who's Joe Davis and what's it, why does it even matter? He started training from Aleo Reyes in June of 1962. And tomorrow, we can all say happy birthday to Joe because he'll be 85 years old tomorrow. So he trained from Aleo Reyes in 62. Well, Kaji Kimbo, as we'll point out here in a little bit, didn't even get its name until 1957, the end of 57. A lot of people think it got its name in 47 and all that. It did not. It got its official name in 57. So Joe started when the art was about five years old. So the knowledge that he got through Leo Reyes was some of the earliest known imperado method knowledge. So he learned that from Aleo Reyes and he passed that on to us. I have uh, a Bible that he gave me. And in the Bible, if there's any differences in a technique or other ways to do it, his Bible says, this is you know, basically his deal. It's not part of the original method. So he even identifies when things have changed a little bit but always keeps the original the way it is so that's how we got the Emperorado method
0: and you what uh go backtracking even some more was kaju the first martial art you did no I, i started
1: off in karate uh my first teacher 74 was bill soto Uh, Sensei Soto went to Korea during Vietnam, and then he came back to Winters. It's in Northern California. It's where I grew up, and he opened a school. I started training there, and that was my first. I was 14. That was my first introduction to karate, and I I thought it was amazing, and you know, I was kind of skinny, but I was pretty much your average kid, right? I had an older brother, so you know, people weren't picking on me or bullying me or anything like that. I didn't need it to protect myself. I just thought it was so cool. And about, it just in my head, like four months of this, I'd be like, you know, unbeatable, right? I'd be unstoppable because <laughs> you'd watch a TV show Kung Fu or whatever, and you just see what he does. He's like, nobody can harm this dude. And I was like, I'm going to be that guy. So I started doing that. Well, reality hit me in my class was Romero Jimenez Romero was about six years older and he was a golden gloves boxer he lived about a block away from me and Romero said hey man you should come over to my house and work out with me so I did now Romero had a makeshift gym and in this gym uh you know he had bags and and, you know 16 ounce gloves he got from Mexicali I mean it, it was set up for you to go in there and box, and in my case, get pounded by a guy that was six years older than me. And he knocked me out so many times, I honestly could not tell you how many times. But the reality I was trying to you know, share here is that fighting's one thing, and what your mind says is completely different. And Romero introduced me to you know, fighting, to, to punching and getting you know, knocked around and knocked out and all that stuff. And I worked out with Romero all the way through high school up to the point where I actually left, uh, graduated from high school and, and went to college and left. I still trained with that guy. And, uh, and I, I don't know that I ever got tougher than he was, even when I you know, was like 18 years old or whatever, he was just a tough dude. So my introduction went from uh, karate with Bill Soto to also training with Romero in boxing. And then Frank Lucero introduces me to Tony Ramos. So, I had, if you lived in the Bay Area or anywhere near there, you were completely spoiled because you could not make a bad decision on which Kajakimba school you were going to. Whether it's Reyes or Ramos or Gaylord or Halbuna, they were there and these guys were all incredible.
0: So, in, in, in a way, like, you were already kind of touching on the acronym of Kaju Kembo as you came in, you got the karate, you got the boxing and then bam, now it, 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 you got into Kaju Kembo from there. So I think that's pretty cool. How, um, how that got introduced to you. And when you got into Kaju Kembo coming, doing some boxing, doing some karate, what were, uh, what were some of the things you noticed? Like, obviously you came from a karate background, so you already had, you already had, a perspective of what martial arts was from a karate perspective then you did boxing so you got that really rough uh you know bo- boxing is kind of a no-nonsense straightforward martial art what was your impression as you walked in and started doing Kaja you know
1: the first thing I, I think I recall is seeing people on the ground getting stomped that was an eye opener for me. They weren't just standing up, throwing punches and kicks at each other. They were dragging each other to the ground, flipping them, hip checks, leg sweeps, and then pounding them on the ground. I knew, I, I could still remember day one. I knew this was real. I, I, I just remember thinking, yeah, if I learn this, I'll really be, I'll really be okay. Um, it was different. In so many aspects, too, because uh, first of all, Tony Romans was an excellent martial arts, but he's also an excellent teacher. And he didn't take no crap. So if you were screwing around in class, you got you got lickens, man. They weren't playing around. So you had to stay focused and and
0: you had to learn. If you weren't learning, then you were on the other end of it. And you came in, and now you were. How old are you by the time you got, and you walked into the first Koji place? I was 15. You were 15. Okay. Yeah. And. um, The the interesting,
1: Angela, the reason why I know this is Frank Lucero drove us there and he had a car, but he didn't have a driver's license yet. He wasn't 16. (laughs) And Frankie's, Frankie's six months older than I am. So that was kind of our story back in the day we would go to class and. And Fairfield was not like right around the corner from Winters. Fairfield was like, you know, 30 miles away or one way. <laughs> so we'd go down the back roads and we'd get the, you know, he had a school out by Travis Air Force Base, right? So we'd get out there and take the back roads. <laughs> and then no, we know our timeline pretty good.
0: No, no, and nobody asked you how you got there. Just... <laughs>
1: Frankie, Frankie had a car, he just didn't have a license yet. <laughs>
0: oh that's hilarious <laughs> so, so you walked in <laughs> you're doing your Kaji Kembo training you're 15 um you got there i, I think that's, <laughs> that's the important part you got there and um you're doing the Kaji Kembo training you're going through you, you know this is something you, you're starting to see that this is something that's very different from the other stuff you experience it's real um what made you want to stay because some people would some people I know many people that would walk into the same environment and just be like this is not for me I don't need and especially for you you were telling me like for your story it wasn't like you were getting bullied I mean yeah you knew what fighting was you were getting into it especially because of doing the boxing but just as well you could have just walked away and said this isn't boxing and walked out been like you know I don't need to be that rough what what attracted you to it what kept you going instead of walking out that door
1: Well, it's interesting because I trained there, I want to say six, seven months, maybe a little bit longer. And I got a driver's license and then uh, I stopped going, you know, we were playing football and just other things were going on and I stopped going. And Frank and I would train in garages throughout town. We'd find different people that had a garage and we'd ask them, Hey, can we hang a bag here? So we'd hang a bag and we'd practice our kicks and strikes on that bag. And, that probably took me out to you know, about a year, year and a half. I was still boxing with Romero and doing some kickboxing now because both of us had learned some you know, some kicking from Bill Soto. And so that was really what my, my training was at that period of time. So I had my introduction to Kaji Kimmel, and I knew purple belt knowledge, but I never tested. And then uh, I ended up taking a karate class at the uh, college. Uh, right just right down the street from just about all of these guys right and in this college class is Bobby Wilson who I still consider to be the best martial arts I've ever met and he he's uh he's under Emo Bautista right and Bobby's in this class along with uh I'm a bunch of other guys and we are uh we're all training together and Bobby says hey you should come by my school which is Emo Bautista school it's on Benicia Road I couldn't find the school. I was driving around and driving around, and it's just Vallejo. I had no idea where I was. I couldn't find the school. So I go back, and I don't know, a week later or whatever, uh, another student said, I asked him where Bobby was, and he says, well, Bobby's not here anymore. I said, well, why not? he said, because Bobby's still in high school. He was just coming down to class to train with people. So one of the other students says, hey, you should come by our school, and it was Calvin Shin School. So. Uh, I went by uh, Don Robnett. I went by that school and Don introduced me to Mr. Shin and I began training there. When I started, I already had purple belt knowledge, but I had to get everything down again and then I tested. And so under Mr. Shin, I trained until 1989 and then he retired. And through him, I got all my belts, purple, blue, green, brown, black, first degree, instructor certificate, etc. And then uh, once he retired, um, I started training with Wally J in uh, small circle jiu-jitsu because I was a police officer in Oakland and I was getting in trouble. I was a little excessive a few times. So someone suggested go learn some jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, Wally J's small circle and he would probably get out of, out of the trouble. So I went over there and trained with Wally for a while. And then my dad got uh, cancer. So then I'm taking care of my dad now. So. After my dad passed away, I decided um, I, I've got to get back in the game. Mr. Shin's retired. So I started training with Imo Bautista. And through Emo, I got the rest of my ranks uh, up through professor. And I stayed with him until 05. So um, my journey was among several different instructors, but they were all on the same path. Cal Shin and Emo Bautista were students of Tony Ramos. all the same stuff, all the same knowledge, which was very beneficial for me. So that was my journey through that point.
0: And and that's something I like to talk about because I do a lot of cross training and I talk to people that do different martial arts and I am biased and I'm going to say it, and biased <laughs> whenever i talk about belt testing um yes every kaju kembo school does a different type of black belt testing but one thing that's seems to be i don't know if it's universal yet but i haven't met anyone who said it wasn't brutal so <laughs> how what how was the black belt test for you uh what did you what did you have to go through and what did you do to prepare for it
1: Well, I don't consider my black belt test to be all that brutal, but it was challenging in that it was something I got to accomplish. You know, I worked hard at it. My father was there. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was there during all of these promotional periods. So for me, it was really just about a chance for me to show up and do something, make my, my you know, family proud, my girlfriend proud. A lot of it was about that. Now, I have a sidebar here. In the, in the early 80s, I became a competitive bodybuilder. And I competed in the Mr. North Bay and the Mr. Uh, NorCal and uh, the Mr. Napa Valley and Mr. San Joaquin Valley, et cetera, a bunch of shows. So at the point where I was session, I was pretty big. I was still by 220, right? So yeah, I had a lot of uh, you know 19-inch arms and stuff like that. So I had a lot of size to me at the time. Mentally, that allowed me to kind of get over some of the fear of the fighting aspect of it. But we did the traditional forms and techniques and then fighting, fight one guy for a minute, then another guy comes in and you got two minutes, three minutes, and four. And that's fine for the time. When I look back on it now, based on the way that I was able to teach students of my own, I, I think it was okay, it was very elementary. Uh, when I trained my students for their testing, uh, even, even Greenbelt on, they had to box, they had to kickbox, they had to do MMA. Um, as part of their training, we didn't spar spar. We didn't point fight or spar, although I love point fighting, it's weird, but I do. I think it's fantastic. Um, but we didn't do sparring for, per se, we did fighting. So um, I transitioned into that and we did ground grappling as well. So we did all the, uh, the original method stuff, the, the techniques and forms, curriculum, but we also did boxing, kickboxing, street grappling, etc. cetera. So even though I went through it all, I think my testing in, in schools that I see now, the testing is even harder.
0: Yeah, that's um. It's interesting because like, I there's a lot of different camps about, and I think that's what I love about Kajikambo is the idea that each school has their freedom to do what they want for their students so they can kind of tailor that to what their student needs. And as you know, every student needs something different when they get to that black belt. Everybody's at a different point where their instructor is looking for something particularly, maybe there's a personal challenge that they need to work on. And um, and the test is supposed to bring that out. So, like, you got through the test. You were doing bodybuilding at the time.
1: Yeah, I had I, when I got my black belt. I had stopped bodybuilding. I stopped bodybuilding in '84. Got my black belt in '85.
0: All right. Well, you mean you still you get you had all the strength <laughs> all the strength you get all the strength training you got from, from bodybuilding doesn't that doesn't really go away you know maybe you're not you know you're not as uh, as cut as before. But, um, but the muscles don't just disappear. So like <laughs> you got, you did your black belt test. You keep going. You got the rest of your belts when, and I guess there's always that point, And for everyone, it's at a different point. When did you say, this is something I like to do for myself to, this is something I want to teach other people. Um, how was that? Was that, a, was that like a smooth switch? Was that a, was that a sneaky switch? How'd that work for you?
1: Well, I've always been the type, if you show me something, I can't wait to show it to somebody else. My oldest son, Matt, is exactly the same way. As soon as you figure something out, he's like, hey, let me show this to you. He's, a, a, he's a, actually a, a PE teacher, and he's a CrossFit instructor. Been doing CrossFit forever, did the games a couple of times, that kind of stuff. As soon as I learn something, I absolutely want to share it with you. So it's never been an issue for me. You know, like I said, when I saw the martial arts, I was hooked. I knew right away, this is legit. This is so much fun. And I never lost that feeling. I feel the same way today as I did back then. I've never lost that feeling.
0: Yeah, I think anyone who really gets into it, that's what it is, right? Like, (laughs) all
1: right. And then you talked about when did, you know, when did, when did I decide I wanted to teach? Kaji Kimmel kind of has a formula that, you know, once you get your black belt, um, now what are you gonna do? Well, in most schools, if you're a belt above someone, you're their teacher, at least in our Bay Area schools. It's always been that way. If you're a blue belt, you're helping teach purple belts. If you're a green belt, you're teaching blue belts. I was always helping people just like Andy Marquez, who was my senior under Cal Shin, and he helped me. Each person is like pulling you and then you pull the next guy up. So in 86, after I got my first degree, my instructor certificate, Annie Marquez opened a school and I opened a school. So there were three of us now, Cal Shin's original school. And then each one of us had a school. Unfortunately, I got a job uh, at the Oakland Police Department working in law enforcement that required me to spend all my time doing that. I could not run a school at that time. So I ended up closing the school and I would uh, teach for Andy when Andy needed someone to take classes for him or I would teach for Mr. Shin. Uh, I was still teaching and I think I taught because I felt like it was a responsibility I had acquired by earning rank.
0: And then this is something that I've never talked about on my podcast, but I've heard it talked about on... um, on primal radio podcast. It was. It's a JKD podcast. He was talking to a law enforcement trainer. Um, I think he was talking to Hawk. 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 Oh, Hawk there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's also got a kajukenbo background. Um, and he was mentioning the differences between training for a civilian and training for for law enforcement. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, as a Kajakembo guy, as you said, it's really rough. There's a lot of things you can do as a civilian that you definitely can't do as a law enforcement officer. How, do, how did you kind of work that out without getting into gonna, on the podcast? I'm going to share a funny story
1: with you because I think it'll be a better explanation. I told you we were filming these DVDs, right, with Joe Davis' knowledge. We're creating, uh, now we're creating knife and club techniques. So it's all professionally done, and Dennis Peterson's working as Mayuki. And we're doing knife techniques. And I take him down and I start, uh, you know, cut him up and do all the stuff, do him on the ground. And Joe Davis takes me to the side. Now, keep in mind, I was a police officer at the time. And I also taught use of force. <laughs> OK, so but we were in the school, right? We're, we're on the mat. So all that goes out the window. Joe pulls me to the side and he says, uh, hey, uh, yeah, don't, don't do any of that. I go, why? He goes, because I don't want anybody to think they can do that. That is when it dawned on me that I couldn't just do anything I wanted to do. (laughs) Even even though I was able to separate it at work, I wasn't able to separate it uh, at that point, up until that point on the mat. And since then, I started teaching uh, use of force as applications along with your self-defense techniques, what you can legally do, right? Which is a big part of what I teach now.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the... People always that I have a right now. I have a student who's law enforcement, and he got into Kembo because he's. We're, I'm in Japan. I, I've mentioned this. I'll always mention it because people are listening, and they might not see the, the Japan part back there. I'm in Japan, so right now I'm teaching a, a law enforcement. A few law enforcement guys in coming out, and they're they're police officers. And this particular guy walked in because he found, he found the John Bishop's Kembo book, and saw knife work. Uh, he couldn't. He can't speak English. He used his phone uh to with the google translate app to be able to read it and he saw that there was like a law enforcement element there and then he's like I really want to learn knife stuff and I told him I, I hate teaching knife stuff <laughs> he looks at me he's like why I'm like I just, I just don't like it. it it's not it's not pretty it's not, <laughs> it's not it's not I know you really want this stuff and I and, I, and I'm just gonna ask you before we start um, before we go into there, let's make sure you, we do it within the rules that you have because American law enforcement and Japanese law enforcement have different rules. Right. So, um, and then he really didn't get why I didn't like teaching it. And then I, I decided to brush up, talk to some other Kajikembo guys because I wanted to make sure that I did it right. So I talked to some of my mentors that t- train law enforcement and we started working the drills. And immediately as we start working the drills, he was like, this is ugly. <laughs> this is ugly. I, don't, I, don't, I can see why you hate this. I'm like, I really do. I really hate knife stuff. We're not putting any of this on the internet because I don't want to train anybody how to stab a cop. This is not exactly, that's not the kind of thing I want to be training people. We'll do this behind closed doors and we won't put anything on it. We'll keep, we'll keep, uh, we'll, we'll maybe show some sparring footage, but I'm not about to teach people how to do this because there's a really nasty element here that I feel the modern... You know, I love the fact, I love MMA. I love other aspects of martial arts, but the combatives element is really different, right? And that's what kind of comes up when you're doing that kind of training. Now, where you're at now to where you were when you started, how has Kaju Kembo, how has your Kaju Kembo changed? You kind of touched on it a little bit right now but how do you well, feel your was changed?
1: How do I think my kojikem has changed or kojikem in general?
0: Your kojikem. We'll get to the rest of the kojikem okay. community later.
1: <laughs> well, for me, I made a transition to adopt the Imperado method, you know, over 20 years ago. And it wasn't that it was better than the ramos method. There, there there's no better. I mean, it's all good stuff. I was I guess, enamored by the fact that Joe Davis could show me how old it was, that it hadn't changed hands, it hasn't, that Aleo Reyes didn't change things, that this is what the Imperado brothers created and talked to Reyes who taught it to him. That part really intrigued me. I was like, wait a minute. This is some of the earliest Kaji Kimmel you can find. I've always been... Uh, I don't know, just enamored by history. And to me, that's our history. So transitioning over was not difficult for me because most of the techniques and forms are similar. About probably half of it's the same. Um, for me, it was about trying to find the roots, not just my roots, but Kajikemo's roots. So, uh, that was the physical part of it if you will but for me i went to uh, i went back to college got a bachelor's degree and then when i was doing my master's degree i did a lot of research and while i was doing the research i thought to myself hey i should do some more research on kaji Kimbo. let me figure out what we can about the art about the players the people that were involved and that kind of put me on a journey i was about a decade ago of trying to find documents and history on the early development of Kaju Kimbo. So, newspapers and photographs, etc. And I learned a story that isn't the story that's told about the five masters who each had an art and they combined the arts together and created Kaju Kimbo. That's a fable. So, I was able to find out a little bit more information on who these guys were and what they came up with. And then at what point Kajikimbo became Kajikimbo? So for me, it's been a lifelong journey of perfecting the arts, of understanding the history. Uh, now we have a, a UKF certified is our website UKFcertified.com, and if people go there and they can get a login password. I at age sixty, uh, I videotaped all the plumasets, all the techniques, and all the original method is on that website so they can see what it looked like according to joe davis's bible back when it transitioned from hawaii to california so all of it as much as i can is to try and share what it was before it became all these other things
0: and now since since you did ask about the question and you were kind of talking about the community and what you're doing um, before we get to the next question, how long have you been doing Kajukenbo now? Roughly? It doesn't have to be exact.
1: Uh well, since 1975.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. All right. We'll just we'll round that off to over 40 years. And now, <laughs> now that we could kind of get that out there, over 40 years of Kajukenbo. How have Kajukenbo changed like from when you not for yourself, but for like for the, from your observation of the Kaju Kembo community, um, how has Kaju changed?
1: Well, let, yeah, let's, but, let's think about what Kaju was in the beginning, right? It was a kempo system. So uh, Adrian El Prado, you, you, you gotta look at the background of the five guys that started, the, the co-founders, if you will, started the whole idea of Kaju So in 47, you know, Adrian El is he's learning kempo from Chao, And Chow had just got his black belt from Matosi. So Chow is, he's still helping Matosi. He's creating that book, What Is Self-Defense. He's being photographed and stuff. So he's still with Matosi, but he's training his own guys. And Imperato one of them, right? Imperato's got some background. He's a judo player. He learned from Sensei Taneo. In fact, he was teaching Taneo's son how to box in exchange for judo lessons, right? And he had some boxing lessons from his dad, his stepdad and his uncle, and then some of streamer lessons from his brother. So he's got this background going on, but primarily he's learning Kempo. So he's he's like your core guy. And then you go to uh, Joe Hulk. Now, Joe Hulk is different than these guys. Joe Hulk's a brown belt in Don Zuru Jiu-Jitsu in 47. And he uh, just got back from the military where he was a hand-to-hand combat instructor. So he's pretty well-rounded and, and understands curriculum. Right. So then you get Peter Chu and Peter Chu is uh, he's got some some kempo training uh, under Thomas Young. He's got some Dan training under uh, uh, um, uh, Sam Luke and the same with uh, Ordinez. same training. These guys are buddies hanging out together. They got the same training, but they're both actually boxers on the army boxing team. So. Along with them is uh, George Chang. A lot of times you hear uh, his name is Clarence, which is wrong, and I don't know how they got it that way, but his name's George Chang. According to John Bishop, George was also on that Army boxing team. And uh, uh, David Tavares did the black robe. He did a little research talking to the sister of George Chang. Actually, I got some really cool photographs through all of this, but uh, David explained through the sister that George Chang did not have this Hong Kong, China background that people often write about. He trained at about age sixteen, right there in Kali, trained in in uh, kung fu. So, these are your guys. Now they all have uh, well, uh, uh, Ordinez, Chu, Imperato, a whole. They all have some grappling background. And Imperato's boxer, the other two are boxers. So when when all of this came together early on, it was Kenpo Karate, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, and Boxing. They did not like the name Kenka-Jubo. Kenpo Karate, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, Boxing. So they cut Kenpo and Karate in half because they had written it down on paper and put the Ka on the front. Kaju Kimbo. That's how they came up with the name Kaju Kimbo. That's my understanding. So that was the original creation of Kaju Kimbo. So then you go, well, what did these guys come up with? Most of the time you'll say, oh, Kaju Kimbo was created in 1947. No, no, no. If you look at John Bishop's videos with C.J. Ombarado, he explains they came up with techniques. But the techniques were so cool that Chow wanted Imperato to say Chow taught him to him. And Imperado says, I, I couldn't do that because Hulk and Ordinez and, and et cetera, these guys helped create these techniques. Now, we don't know how many techniques and, and we don't know how many made it into what later became Kajakimba. We just know they created some techniques. If you watch the same video, you've got Imperado demonstrating punch counter number one He does the parry, the hammer fist strike, and the front ball kick, which is actually punch counter one, two, three, and four in the original method. It's also punch counter 17, you know, and they add a different ending. And then it's done on the two-mans. It's on two-man two and two-man five. So that one technique is modified and used seven different ways within the original method. And he demonstrates that technique. We know they came up with that, or at least we can reasonably believe they came up with that. We don't know how much other stuff they came up with. So when this group concluded in 49, we know they had some techniques, we just don't know how many. Right? So you're talking about who were these guys that created that first stage of the development of Kajikimbo? And what training background did they have? One thing that was cool was they were all in the Army. Imparato was in the first Filipino regiment, but that was associated with the army. So all these guys were in the army. Hulk stayed in the army, he, he was retired colonel. Peter Chu stayed in the army, he did 20 years. Uh, George Chang got out of the army and he went into the, the Marines and he went over to uh, Korea during the war. And Chu was in Korea and Japan during, uh, during the 50s. So what they did afterwards we have to disregard as far as the development of Kajikimbo because their time period was 47 to 49. So some cool things happened in this time period. In uh, 48, Joe Hope got black belt. I talked to his son, Barry. Barry said July 14, 1948, he got his on. Well, that made Hope the first black belt within this group. In 49, Imparato got his black belt from Chow. So he's the second black belt. And then uh, the group creates the black belt society. So 1949 is the creation of black belt society. Uh, the others were, as far as I can understand, pulled within this and became black belts. That's how that core group became the black belt society. So that's the early first phase of Kaji Kimbo. And there's... Another phase that happens after that.
0: And then, <clears throat> from your personal experiences of when you got involved in Kajakembo to where Kajakembo is now, um, how has it changed?
1: So, if you go through what came out of that first phase, you go into the second phase. The second phase is where Emperado starts teaching at Pan American Airlines and his student is Marino Tiwanak. For those that aren't familiar with who Marino Tiwanak is, he formed uh, CHA3, which is uh, a Kempo school. Tiwanak was a professional fighter. Now keep in mind, the others were boxers and amateur boxers. Peter Chu had about a hundred ring fights by 1947, but he wasn't a professional fighter, Tiwanak was. When Imperado's doing techniques, look at the guys that are throwing punches at his face. They can knock you out. It shouldn't surprise us that when the curriculum is finally developed, there's 105 techniques and over 80 of those techniques have somebody punching at your face like they're trying to knock you out, like a boxer would in the street. And there's a reason for that. You go back to Hawaii, and this is all part of the development that gets us to today, so uh, bear with me. If you go back to Hawaii, there's three things that happened in Hawaii back then. There was boxing, there was judo, and there was Kempo. Those are the three things. So if you looked at me, you give me stink eye, right? You better know one of those three. And I need to know how to beat that guy that knows one of those three. Well, it looks to me like since these guys are all boxers and they're throwing punches at Imperato's head, he better figure out how to beat a boxer. And that's how the techniques are developed in Kaji Kimmel. So if you look at those and you go, why are there so many punch counter techniques from the alphabets to the early punch counters to the two mans the three mans are all trying to knock you out because the guys throwing punches could knock you out. So from this segment, you move into Imperado starting to teach classes. He's teaching at the Wano YMCA for Chow. Then he starts teaching at, and I'll probably murder this word, Kaheka Lane. It's the dojo that Okazaki had uh, his schools in. Imperado actually taught over there because Chow had a class there. So you move into 1952. A lot of cool things happen in 52. Matose gave Imperado an instructor certificate. I don't know if that was a catalyst for anything, but according to Lauren Gill, who was the director of the Paloma Settlement, he was interviewed in 1962 by uh, Bruce Haynes. Then uh, that's when Imperado started teaching formally at Paloma Settlement 52. That's also when he promoted his brother, Joe Imperato to Black Belt. That's also when Woodrow McCandless, who had a Kempo school at the Paloma Settlement, moved his school over and joined his group, merged his group with Imperato. So 52 is a big year because now you're putting into place, McAllister has a background, he's a black belt under Mitose. He also trained with Chow a lot. So he's an excellent martial artist, he's helping out. Joe Imperado was a uh, student of Chow's who then became Imperato's first black belt. He's there, he's helping out and they're starting to build that school. About a year later, uh, uh, George Ceronio, they call him Polly Ceronio, uh, nicknamed after his dad. Uh, Polly Ceronio was a boxer. That's uh, You had Bobby Ceronio on your show. So, Polly Ceronio is his great grandfather. Paul Ceronio is the great grandfather. Then, Polly Ceronio, George, is his grandfather. All boxers. He becomes a Kajakilma practitioner and he brings along Tony Ramos. So, This group is all starting to put together the pieces that we recognize today as Gajakimbo. They start, uh, John Burado and uh, and Adriano Burado, Cijo, they start creating forms. They create initially called pinions because Cijo thought that's what you called forms, pinions. So they create these pinion forms uh, sometime around 55 or 56. And then a little bit later, uh, becomes the alphabets, right? So 57, the end of 57, you get the creation of the Kaji Self-Defense Institute and the name change because originally they had a Kempo martial art. Their Kempo becomes Kaji Kembo. So if people say, hey, where'd Kaji Kimbo come from? It comes from the uh, later part of 1957 and um, I got a newspaper article here somewhere. I figure out where I said it. Yeah. So if you go on the uh, internet, do a little searching, you'll find this newspaper article. I don't know if you can see it. I can see it. In, in the article, it uh, is dated December of 28, 1957. And it's uh, Imperato officially announcing the Kachikama Self-Defense Institute and announcing instructors, board of directors. Him, he's the chief instructor. Joe Imperato the co-chief instructor. Um, Reno Tiwanaka is an instructor. And then he lists his board members. So that's where we get into the Kajikemo period, where it actually has a name now. So from there, you get the addition to the curriculum of the alphabets, and then probably the last couple of forms. So you've got to probably the early part of the 60s. And we only, we're going to talk about the change. But right now, we don't have a change other than the name change, because they're still creating this art. So they eventually come up with a curriculum. So they've got 15 grab counters, they've got 21 punch counters, 15 knife counters, 13 club counters, they've got eight two-mans, they've got six three-mans, they've got 26 alphabets. There is one four-man attack, but most folks don't really even deal with it because it's really a three-man attack with a rover, right? so technically there's 105 techniques and then some a and b techniques were added over the years but we know there's 105 techniques and there's 14 forms so when you say well what's the curriculum i mean what is kajakimbo you go back and you say well this was the original curriculum when it was actually identified as kajakimbo there are other schools that hey maybe have less curriculum but from this time period, that's the curriculum. So we're all cool, except something's going on here. Sijo's training and he's doing a lot of Kung Fu and he's really digging it. So the 60s come along and he's deep into the whole Kung Fu thing. And so is everybody else, it's really taken hold. Kung Fu became something really big, really fast, kind of like MMA, all of a sudden everybody went, Wow, we don't do karate anymore, we do kung fu. So he's got some help. Uh, Al de and Al de la Cruz, the two owls, they're helping him and they're bringing and in incorporating kung fu. So the Coscos uh, gets appointed as the guy to go out and teach the other Kaji Kembo instructors these new kung fu forms and, and concepts, right? And uh, most of them were very receptive. Uh, guys like Tony Ramos, sure, let's incorporate this in our system and so forth. But Aleo Reyes was not very receptive. Aleo went to see Joe and he said, you know, with all due respect, uh, the, you know, can I just teach what I learned at Palma? Can I just teach what I learned from, from you and, and Joe Prado? This curriculum that is in place. And thankfully, CJ said yes, because had he not said yes, we probably wouldn't be talking today about Imperato Method Kajikimbo. It would have changed and modified because the two owls, along with CJO, my understanding, and, and I, I think this is accurate, they initially came up with what is identified as Kajikimbo Tumpai, but they put it on a shelf because. They thought it was either too internal or too soft. And they kept working on it and they came up with Kaju Kembo Chuang Fa. So the Chuang Fa was was more of a open hand system and I could be messing this up completely. I only know what I learned from Al Delacruz, open hand system. And then from there, Aldecascos went on and created a combination fist art he calls one-up-kudo. So those are the four official branches of Kajikimo, right? So you talk about what's changed. This is a lot of change that's happened already, right? Now you go from the original method to these other methods and then you start adding in flavors. Here's an example of this. Tony Ramos created Ramos method or Ramos system. He was a direct student of both Adriano Imparato and Joe Imparato, but he had his own way of doing things. So he came up with Ramos method, which included the addition of concentration forms and other techniques that he created. He taught Emo Bautista and Calvin Shin. Each one of them could have their own flavor. In Calvin Shin's case, being Korean, he adopted tongsudo. So while I trained with him, we also had to learn the entire tongsudo curriculum. And he was a creator. When I tested for black belt, I probably had 300 techniques and 65 forms. And I needed to know them like this. Mr. Shin had no, no problem calling you out if you didn't know your knowledge instantly. On the other hand, Imo Bautista had his own flavor. And I got to train from both of these guys who had the same teacher, different flavors of Kaji Kimbo. So all the teachers out there had their key students, whether it was, you know, Grandmaster Gaylord or it was Joel Buna, they're all their key students. And those students were either just like them or started changing and modifying stuff. So between the beginning of what the curriculum was to today, you could go into a Kaju school now and not see any of the original curriculum, nothing. Not a not grab arts, not punch arts, not knife, not clubs, too many. You'll go in there and it looks more like kickboxing school or an MMA school, et cetera. So how has it changed? Kaju is an umbrella word now. It's the same as the word karate. Look at how many different variations of karate we have around the world. We now have that with Kajikimbo. We even have one guy over in Europe, he created an own version of Kajikimbo. and a lot of people do it over there. And it, it, it is actually really cool. It's a good system. I don't look at it as being technically Kajikimbo because it's so different, but he's got great following. It's a great system and it's got its own flavor. So, you know, we went from this was how it used to be to it can be anything now.
0: And I think, to, to be honest, that's what attracted me to Kajukenbo in the first place. When I was, when I was looking for schools, and I've mentioned this on the show before, uh, before I started training, I couldn't afford training. So it was just me and my cousin experimenting with books judo books. I read Jake uh, Bruce Lee's JKD book, um, The Tao. And when I got, when I walked into the Kaji Kembo school, I met my instructor. He had this real street element in just the way he carried himself and his students. And I was in a really rough neighborhood. So when I walked in, I really loved the idea that They were looking at what I felt martial arts as a whole, rather than saying, "This is the one style. This is the one thing we're gonna do." There, it really seemed to be after effectiveness. And then when I started reading about, from at the time what I could have access to, imperado had the same mentality. Like, what works? Like, this is the problem I'm having. People are swinging at my head. These boxers are swinging at my head. I need to find out what's gonna work to stop these boxers from swinging my head. Um, But now that really explains how i think that's a great explanation how it kind of from your perspective not just how it changed but why it changed and how for your definition for Kembo, how it became an umbrella term i want to go back to something you said because i honestly don't know and i'm hoping you do know the answer to this and we're i'm also going to say we're almost done our hour is almost up but and i know if it takes more than an hour bear with me everyone we might go over an hour on this one. <laughs> I might even make a short clip just to answer this one question because I've always wondered. What exactly is, and, I, and I, not from a textbook perspective, I've heard a lot of people throw around Dan, Zu Ryu, Jiu-Jitsu. And my question is, um, as someone who practices Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what is Dan, Ryu, Jiu-Jitsu? Like, what? concrete wise because i've heard a lot of people talk about it i've heard people talk about the history and the people that are involved in it but i still have no idea what it looks like so do you know what well, danryo jiu-jitsu looks like like so what it, the, it,
1: kind of it, techniques it, we're talking it's, about it's donzen ru
0: donzen ru sorry
1: and my suggestion would be to get a hold of somebody like russ rhodes someone like that <laughs> that, that, could, that could introduce donzen ru jiu-jitsu to you because you know there are a lot of guys out there. What's, I think it's George Arlington or something like that. There's a lot of guys out there that have, you know, all the knowledge on this art. I'm only gonna touch on the surface, but look, Henry Okazaki uh, had a teacher there in Hawaii and he learned jujitsu. And at some point, I think it was 1924, 25, and now I'm just thinking this off the top of my head, Okay. He went over to Japan and he went to all the schools that were over there. Okay. And I think he was gone for like, I don't know, five, six months, maybe even a year. He was gone for a long time, he went wow. to all the schools that were over there. And at one point he went to uh, the Kodokan and Jigoro okay. Kano awarded him a uh, Shoda. Okay. So whatever he was learning, the Jiu-Jitsu that he was learning from his teacher, and I actually have this all in all my notebooks and stuff like that. His teacher taught him well. What year so- was this? oh Uh, roughly 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 25
0: 1925 okay okay all right no no, that actually that that answers a lot right there because and i'm I'm gonna pause it right here for anybody listening who's now listening to this video as a separate piece um for those of you that don't know the kodokan was like the original before the judo federation was official because it still wasn't official back then um the kodokan was the organization that would later become the judo federation that everybody knows now today and for anybody listening from a jujitsu background, at this point, they're still doing double legs, single legs uh, submissions. They're still doing all the newaza, all the groundwork, all the stuff that would later turn into Brazilian jujitsu because the same. OK, wait. hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. I don't want to mess this up. All right. So like I said earlier, I didn't want to mess this up. And um, here it is. So when we're talking about the Kodokan, we're talking about. For you BJJ listeners, Mitsuyu Maeda. He's one of the five Kodokan top ground work experts. So this goes back to that guy who eventually will go down to become, um, he'll, he'll be related to Kano Jigoro. It'll go into how he ended up leaving. And Maeda eventually moves over and starts training people around the world in judo and eventually this ends up this ends up going to Carlos Gracie. And this is all in 1914. So this is happening in 1917. Carlos Gracie watched Kano Jiu-Jitsu as a demonstration by Maeda in Brazil. So you're talking only a few years after this, um 1925. So right here we're talking about Yeah. In, uh... So not, not 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 only a few years after this, and this is before like I said earlier, and I, I, I'm not a historian. Um, this is just from the stuff I've looked at, that the Kodokan uh, eventually turns into Judo. At this point, it's just, Kodokan is just kind of unifying because Japan has so many styles of Jiu-Jitsu from Aiki to, right. to, you know, to there's just so many styles of Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, Neuaza, as they would say. That It wasn't until later that Judo gets founded. But it's interesting to note that the jiu-jitsu that was being taught back then would later turn into judo which looks nothing like what the jiu-jitsu looks it looked more like brazilian jiu-jitsu to be honest it had it didn't have judo became more fixed towards becoming a sport and making it uh international uh, sensation if you will for marketing so what you're talking about in 1925 is this person was from Hawaii, they went to that same place that Maeda is from, got their black belt, and then came back to Hawaii to continue to teach, you know, uh, grappling. We'll just, we'll use the English word for grappling, because I don't want to yeah. get stuck with the Nawaza and tatawaza. Well,
1: <laughs> the part that, and I'm not an expert on Ogazaki, but the part that needs to be explained here, too, is, although Kemo is a mixed martial art, it was not the first mixed martial art. Hopefully that doesn't cause a lot of controversy because uh, Okazaki had a mixed martial art. He combined other arts to create his dancing Brew. So he did that, uh, Imperato and whole their group, they did that too. They're the first of the mixed martial arts groups. And even with that said, I remember watching your your podcast with Hackleman and Hackleman said he didn't like the name MMA for Kajikembo. And I completely understood what he was talking about. Kajikembo is a mixed martial art, but people have to understand what Kajikembo was. Originally, it's original format. It was a street-based self-defense art. It was created by combining karate, judo, jiu-jitsu, kempo and boxing movements and techniques for the street. Right? So MMA is a sport and in MMA, you're focusing on fixing your striking, fixing your grappling, getting your conditioning right so you can fight someone in a ring. And Kaji Kimbo's original format was all focused on the street and it wasn't necessarily so much about perfecting the boxing, perfecting the Jiu Jitsu, etc. cetera, it was about perfecting the technique itself. The combative part of the technique that you could apply later on in a self defense situation in the street. So, although they still use MMA and, and, and probably always will there's a big distinction between a mixed martial art and the MMA, as we see in the UFC.
0: And again, it's I think it's you're touching on a really important part here and I think a lot of people. A lot of modern martial artists cringe when we, when you hear martial artists say in the street, because they think that we're trying to make it tougher or make a distinction of what's tougher, whether it's self-defense or MMA, the sport of MMA. And I want to take a step as someone who's done both and say that when you're preparing for a cage fight, it's not that for me personally, it's not that we're trying to say that the street makes the other part rougher. It's just a total different goal. Like, when you go into a cage fight, you're going up against someone who you know is training for a very long time. It's not going to be an amateur. You're not going to walk on this they're not going to be drunk. They're not, <laughs> they're not going to have a weapon. They are someone who specifically, if anything, they're training their body. They're, they're not drinking at all. They're, 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 they're just like getting ready for a competition. They are trying to get to their peak to win this sport, this, this match. Well, when, when you're preparing in a self-defense scenario, the person that you're coming at, you don't know. They might be that guy. They might just be a guy who had one too many. It might end up just being your drunk uncle who you're going to have to hold down and not hurt. <laughs> just kind of wait for him to sober up and apologize to everyone later. So, so the, the idea behind it, the, the training methodologies, what you're preparing for. Is completely different, and I think that's what I'd want my listeners to kind of distinguish when we hear people. Yeah, say this stuff.
1: yeah, and you know, I, I I feel bad when I hear people kind of sound like you got to do one or the other. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Because you hear that a lot. Like, well, you know, going only do this, you to do that. No, no. Look at guys like Bobby Serrano the Third, right, Low Bobby. Okay, he's an outstanding Kaju practitioner. He's an outstanding point fighter. He's an outstanding grappler. He's an outstanding MMA fighter. You can do all of these things, but you have to have that mindset. I remember being at the school uh, a while back and I was explaining to the folks that were there, pointing at little Bobby saying, this is the guy C. Joe Imperato created Kaji Kimmel techniques to try and defeat. That guy right there. So when you think about what do you want to get out of your training, first of all, I love the historical part of Kajakimbo and I love doing my forms and I love doing my techniques. And, you know, I love doing anything that's related to the fight part of it. What I don't love now as I get older is pain. I don't like getting (laughs) hurt. I've had 14 eye surgeries from a detached retina, my right eye. I've had surgeries on the left. I've had implants because I got my jaw broke and teeth cracked out of it. And I broke, bones in my feet and my shins and that that stuff happens along the way if you try really hard to learn this stuff (laughs) but when you get older I'll be 62 here I'm going to get my social security pretty soon (laughs) and pain is one of the things as you get older you don't want to feel you know when when you get older you might not know what you want but you definitely know what you don't want so (laughs) What I would suggest to anyone who's doing martial arts training, find pain. You'll never learn how to do this until the pain is there. It will either make you turn around and run or fight like you've never fought before. But you have to find the pain. It generally happens when you're, you know, getting destroyed. And you have to figure out And you should always be trying to train with people that are better than you. You know, it's not good to be the, the, the guy that can beat everybody into class. If that's you, go to another class. If you're great standing up, go find somebody that trains on the ground. If you're great with weapons, go find somebody to shoot a gun. Use a knife. I've probably had a half a dozen or more people try to attack me during, you know, policing in Oakland uh, with a knife. And, and it was never an issue. I've never felt threatened. I was always able to disarm him. And the reason is they weren't knife fighters. They were just knuckleheads with knives, right? So had that been somebody like Wally Astropia, who's you know, just an amazing knife fighter, I'd be in a coffin in the ground somewhere. So training with people uh, that have knowledge that you don't think you, you need to have, they might be the guy you need to train with or the guy you need to train with. They might be able to teach you stuff you, you don't think you know. When I became a police officer, I was already a black belt in Kajukenbo, and I thought, I was a pretty tough guy. And guess what? There's a lot of tough guys on the streets of Oakland. So I knew right away I had to really be at the top of my game because those guys ain't playing around. Nobody wants to go back to prison for the rest of their life, and if you're the guy that's going to take them there, you better know what you're doing. So... You know, the, the training aspect of it is really about you developing your skill sets, whether it's uh, standing, you know, striking or grappling. I like to leave it at those two things. There's two things there's striking and grappling. You got to get as good as you can with both of those, and you got to get as good as you can putting them together. So um, I-, I share this real quick. I-, I had a guy that was a state wrestling champion, high school state wrestling champion. He just got a hold of me the other day because he's now in law enforcement. a friend of his brought him down to my school one day and you know he's got no ears because he's you know this stud wrestler and all this stuff and all he wanted to do was take me on and i knew that from the minute he walked into school right so we did our first uh hour workout just conditioning drills and and you know fighting beating the bags up beating each other up and stuff and then we come over and we we do the little drill and you know i say, okay well let's let's go we'll do uh three one minute rounds and you know go so the first thing i did was I kicked his leg out from underneath him and choked him, took him to the ground. And it took about two seconds. And when he got up, he had no idea what happened, was not expecting that at all. And I said, look, dude, obviously, if we get on the ground, you're going to choke me out or something like that. So I have to let you know what would happen in the street, because you ain't getting me on the ground. So I got an email from him the other day reminding me about that incident, thanking me for the humble pie and saying it was probably one of the better lessons he had learned in life and was now you know working in law enforcement so you never know what else you need to know until you get out there and try
0: you just so normally at the end of a podcast I ask uh I ask the guest to share uh what they think someone should be looking for in a martial art and stuff but I think that answered it. I think you wrapped up without me asking you the question. You wrapped it up really well right there. So I think, um, I think with that being said, we're going to wrap this episode of social jello with Angelo up. Um, like I said earlier, man, I'm going to make an earlier, I'm going to make a quick, I'm going to make the whole podcast. I'll put it out, but there mm-hmm. will be a, there'll be a short clip about what Dan, one more time. Dan's in room. Dan's in Roo. What Dan's in jiu jitsu is what is Dan's in Ru Jiu-Jitsu? I'm going to clip that and then put it in the beginning <laughs> <There you go. laughs> and edit it all in. But um, before we go, is there anything you want to promote, man? I know you mentioned Kimbo Talk Story earlier. Um, this yeah. is a good time to talk about any websites or anything you're going on.
1: So I know uh, uh, Grandmaster Glenn Fraticelli, um, under the direction of the KSDI and Grandmaster Kimo uh, and up Smith, they're going to start this podcast called Talk Story. And you know, Hawaiians, when they get together, they like to talk story. So I thought it was a great name. And as it was explained to me, we're gonna present initially the roots of Kajikembo. We have a lot of paperwork, a lot of photographs. Um, I'll share one really quick, just so you can see. Can you see this one?
0: Yeah, I can see it.
1: Okay, that's uh C. Joe Imperato and Peter Chu training together in 1948. And the photograph was taken by Frank Ordinez. Uh, we've been sharing that a little bit lately, but things like this are documents that the KSDI has that most people have never seen. You know, there are people that don't believe they even trained together. There was no such thing as a, of the original five uh, co-founders, and you know, you're like, well, wait a minute, we're looking at the photographs, right? So that stuff will be shared on Talk Story, along with other documents, to kind of explain how we know a more accurate history of the beginning of its development. So that will be talk story. Uh, for those that want to say like, hey, what's, what's this Imparato method, Kajakimala about? If you go to our website, which is ukfcertified.com, uh, it's uh, it's run by uh, Sifu Lauren Kelly. He's got a school in Dayton, uh, Nevada. Uh, he'll get you a password. You can get in there, you look at all the videos and we show some historical documents on there as well. Uh, you've got that information and then uh, let me think, was there anything else here? Um, I, I think that's probably it. I just wanna make sure that, uh, you know, we understand Kaju Kimbo had, had a couple different phases of development before it got its curriculum. And once it got its curriculum, it started to change again. So it, my, my only other thing is if you're looking for a Kaju instructor, Uh, you're probably not going to find a lot of the traditional instructors. There's guys like Gary Forback who's uh, over in Arizona and, and, you know, all the guys that you'll find uh, from our organization will be on the UKF website. Uh, I know John Bishop's another guy who teaches, I believe in diamond bar. You're not going to find a lot of the original uh, Kaj Kimmel anymore because so many changes have been made to the systems over time. You'll see, you know, uh, John's method, Bill's method, etc. So if you're looking for the original stuff or the older stuff, you can look at this. I do want to share with you the original block strikes on Kajikembo, the outward blocks, the inward blocks. I want to point out that those were done so hard that the, they were designed to almost knock your opponent over. So if you don't see that, when you see the, the, the techniques being practiced, people are missing a big part of the original kajukimbo. These techniques were designed to hurt them, hurt their arms, limb destruction, and then the technique comes in. So damage them, then attack them is pretty much the format with all of these techniques. So last bit of advice, if you're looking for a martial arts school and you walk in that door and you don't see any any pads, any bags, Turn around and leave. You will not learn anything fighting the air. So that's my two cents.
0: All right. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> well, thanks again, Mitch, for being on the show. And for my listeners, thank you very much for listening to Social Dillo with Angelo. I'm a horrible YouTuber. And after an hour podcast, I'm going to ask you to subscribe and hit like. You should have said that first. But, hey, you stuck around this long, so thank you. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, catch cool. you all next time. <laughs> Peace. All right, man. Take care.